right, let's come back together to read the scripture. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 2, 41 to 52. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astounded, astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So who, who made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Man, y'all real excited, huh? <laughs> you know, y- y- y'all are killing my first metaphor for the sermon, okay? Just so you know that. <laughs> so I, I know that uh, even if you didn't make one, everybody uh, thought about it because of social media. You have to. Um, I remember we were, I was, uh, last time me and Doug were talking, like, do you have a New, Year, New Year's resolution? We're like, ah, what did you say? I would do my best. I like that. <laughs> I like that. My, my New, Year, New Year's resolution is to do my best. Now, when you think about New Year's resolutions, what, what is the purpose of a New Year's resolution? Now, the, the best kind of uh, resolution would be the adoption of some habit that helps you accomplish a goal, Right? So you can have a New Year's resolution that says, I want to lose X number of pounds, which that's fine. Or you can have one that says, I'm going to go to the gym two times a week. The one, the one about adopting the habit is going to actually help you make your goal better than just a random finish line goal. Do you see what I'm saying? If there's a particular, if you have a goal in your life, you got to think through what are the habits, what are the practices that I need to make a regular part of my life in order to do that well. So say, you know, say last year you're like, I didn't read a lot. So this year I want to read 100 books. Don't do that. That's a bad call. Maybe you should say, maybe I'll read five minutes a day. The adoption of the habit is going to help you reach the goal that you're trying to go, right? So the, the, the thing about the scriptures, that the, the scripture says that God has a goal for your life. He has a goal for my life. He has a goal for the life of our church. And there are habits that he wants us to adopt that would prepare us for that goal. Now, if somebody says, hey, I want to grow in Christ, what's your goal? I want to be a mature Christian. Well, cool, that's great. What habits are you going to put in place in order for that to be the case? Because if there's no habit, if there's no adoption of, of a particular lifestyle, it's just a dream that actually will not come to any fruition. So, so this year, we have to focus on cultivating the right spiritual habits so that we will be prepared for whatever the Lord has for us to do. 
All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, please, would you open up the scriptures for us this morning? Would you speak to us by the power of your spirit? Lord, would you speak personal, individual words to everybody in this room this morning? That, that there will be specific applications that you would make real and plain to each soul here. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's actually a big gap in the biography of Jesus and the Gospels, right? We, we just celebrated Christmas, right? So we got a lot of information about, about what happened surrounding his birth. And then we have a lot of information surrounding what happened in his ministry, uh, up until his suffering and his death and his resurrection. But there's kind of this gap from like age two-ish to 30. Yeah? So, so what, what in the world is Jesus doing for 30-ish years before he begins ministry? What type of preparation is he enacting so that he is ready for the calling that God has for him? And what I love in the picture uh, of the scripture today is we get a little glimpse, a snapshot, if you will, of what were the habits of Jesus as he was growing and preparing for the purpose that God had for him. So I, I've, I've kind of seen some of these habits, and I'm going to present them to you in hopes that we would not just see that Jesus has done them, but that we would adopt them as well. So in verses 41 and 42, we see that Jesus and his family, they regularly met with God's people. Verse 31, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. In other words, they had a habit. They had a habit. A, a habit. When, when, there was, when there was times to meet with God's people, they had a habit of just going. Now, now listen, now, now, I understand how hard it is to, 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 to start a habit, but once you've kind of started a habit, it doesn't you have to have so much force in trying to make it happen. Once you adopt a course of action, it becomes kind of, kind of second nature. And so this Passover celebration that was every year, I don't think they had a deliberation of if we're going to go this year. They kind of had already, we, well, we've already discussed it. This is something that we do. We have a habit of doing it. Your mind's already prepared. So let's get whatever we got to do together and let's go to this Passover. Now, the festival of the Passover was a time to remember the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. So let me just refresh your memory again, all right? So in the Old Testament, the Israelites, God's people, they were slaves in Egypt. They were under bondage, and they cried out to God for help. Now, it's a long story. It's like a couple chapters in Exodus, okay? So I'm, I'm going to shorten it a lot. God came, and, and he, he confronted Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And they had this back-and-forth thing where Pharaoh would go, okay, and they were like, just playing. And then God would send a plague, and they like, okay, just playing. That happened like 10 times, okay? And finally, the last time, the last time God said, listen, if you don't let my son go, Israel is his son, if you don't let my son go, then I'm going to cause the death of your son. And on that, that night, that Passover night, there was, this, there was this tradition where they were supposed to, to, to eat uh, a lamb. And before they cooked the lamb, they were to take some of the blood and, and put it over the doorposts of their house. And when the, the angel of death was going uh, about in, in Egypt and he was taking the firstborn, that the angel would look at the blood and say, oh, wait, the, 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 these people, they belong to God. I'm going to pass over them. I think it's so interesting that, that one of the only scenes that we have from Jesus' life 
is his family going to celebrate the Passover? Because he himself is the Passover lamb. Because, because his blood was shed and, and because his blood covers us, judgment does not come to us. It passes over, over us and, and it is placed on Jesus at the cross. Now, the story of the Passover, that was like, like, it was like the founding story of Israel. This is the story they had to tell over and over again. And they had different traditions and different stories, different things that they would talk about. And it is, it's foundational to the communal remembrance of what God has done. Now, what's interesting is that when you have a family meal or even a family get-together, usually what happens is y'all begin to tell stories, right? You begin to tell some stories. Now, now I don't know what your family's like. My, my, my family likes to tell funny stories. We just started telling, do you remember when so-and-so did that and when so-and-so did that? Now, listen, that is a fun thing to do, but it also is reminding us, who is our family? What are we like? What are the things that we value? What are the goals that we're shooting for? What has God done in the life of our family? When you get together with family and you begin to swap stories, you're not just swapping stories just to be funny, although that could be the case. Even more so, you're, you're rehearsing what the values and the goals and the formation of your family is. And then we have in the story of the Passover that the family of God would gather together regularly to recount the story of their formation, so they will remember who they belong to, what their values were, and what they were aiming for. They were faithful in remembering with God's people the story that God had given them. It formed them. The stories we tell each other, it forms us. It, 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 it even helps our imagination to, to, to come in line with the goals that we think we would value. Now, we ought to be faithful in remembering what God has done for us. And we don't have a Passover day that we have to go once a year to Jerusalem, but we have something that, that theologians call the Lord's Day. It's the day on, on Sunday when we gather together, and what do we do? We recount the story of how Jesus saves us. Well, that's, I was thinking this morning about, like, I was just thinking about preaching, and I was having a bit of an existential crisis. So I was like, Lord, I don't think I have anything new to say. And he's like, you're not supposed to say nothing new. You're supposed to tell the same thing. We are recounting Jesus Christ and the founding and the securing of our salvation. And as we recount that through song and prayer and, and through preaching, it forms us. It, 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 it aims and shapes our values and, and, and it helps us to understand what virtues we are pursuing together as a family. We are participating in a communal remembrance of the founding of our family which is found in the blood of the lamb that was slain for us. And remember, remember the, the blood of the lamb that takes away our sins. Now listen, and at the Passover in the Old Testament, they would, they would eat and drink. They would tell stories about God's deliverance. And on the Lord's Day, we eat and drink. We take communion. We tell stories about God's deliverance. And you might go, well, why, why do they say the same thing over and over and over again? Because it forms who you are. It solidifies in your mind, what story do I belong to? What family am I a part of? Beloved, we are part of God's family. And so Jesus and his family, they regularly met with God's people. Now, but look at verse 
43 and 44, it's really interesting. It looks like they, they lost their kid. So if you ever lost your kid, you know, you're in good company, okay? But what Jesus was doing, and I think, is, is he was lingering with God's people. Look at verse 43. And after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in a traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Now, why did Jesus want to stay in Jerusalem? I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a responsible question. Like, kind of made your parents a little scared, Jesus. What, what are you doing? Well, in the scriptures, there's, this, there's these promises attached to Jerusalem that, that that's where God's house is. That's, that's where God's presence is. Jesus had this desire to linger and to stay where God was. Now, because we're under this new covenant, we, we have this, this promise that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, that's where he is. Where does God promise to be? When his church gathers together and call upon his name, that's where he promises to be. And Jesus desired to linger and stick around and, and rub shoulders with God's people in God's presence. I think that we should too. You know, I, I, as, a, uh, as a dad, I've become a connoisseur of children's books. Now, as a dad and a pastor, I particularly like Christian children's books. I, I, I like to, is this a good one? And there's one book that I really like. It's called The King of Christmas. It's a story book. You should read it. It's really fun. But the whole, the whole story is just, is just walking through the life of Jesus, and it's asking this question, where is the king of Christmas? And they're like, well, is he with, uh, you know, the rich people? Is he with the scholars? No, no, he's with the poor. Is he sitting on the throne? No, he's on the cross. And it's like, where is the king of Christmas? And then at the very end of the book, it begins to answer this question, well, where is the king now? Where is he now? And what the book says, it says, wherever his name and word are, there you will find him. And it had these pictures, these illustrations, and, and it had this picture of, of someone preaching. They're like, that's where you would find them. And it had this, this picture of someone, someone singing to the Lord, that's where you would find them. And it had this picture of baptism and communion. And they're like, that's where you find them. Where do you find Jesus, the places that he has promised to be? And listen, when you can't seem to find them, we ought to go where he promises to be, yeah? I, 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 I can't quite imagine the franticness that Mary and Joseph had. Where is my child? Oh, snap. He's not here. He's not there. Have you seen him? I don't know. I, I don't exactly know what that feels like, but, but I have felt the franticness of wanting to be near to God. Where are you? Are you with me in this? I can't see your plan. I don't see I don't see how this is working out towards anything that is good. Now, if I'm seeking Jesus, I ought to find him where he said he is going to be. And where did he say he's going to be? With his people. With his people. Listen, if you're looking for some clarity from God, some some assurance that he is with you, go to where he promised to be. And you can look at your life and what obstacles might be in my way for me to linger with God's people? And how can I 
fight those obstacles? How can I, how can I, how can I run around them? What, what do I need to rearrange so that, that I can be with God's people, that I can linger with God's people because I want to be with God's son? And how might it serve others if you were to invite them to the place where God said he's going to be? Yeah, you, you want your friends to know who Jesus is? Well, bring him to where he said he's going to be. So we see that Jesus had this family of regular, had this uh, habit of regularly meeting with God's people, lingering with God's people, and then he's having conversations with God's people. Look at verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Now, I don't know what Mary and Joseph were feeling when they saw Jesus, like, just chilling having theological conversations. Like, bro, where were you? But Jesus was sitting there with God's people discussing God's word. And listen, listen, this does not need to be simply a a bare exercise of, of, of building up knowledge. But there are times when you are discussing God's word with God's people and you feel God's presence. I... There's a story as Jesus, after he rose from the dead, it was before he revealed himself to his disciples. And it was, there was these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were walking down the street, and Jesus appeared, but they couldn't see who he was. They, 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 were, they, they didn't know it was Jesus. And, and they were like, yo, did you hear about Jesus? He was supposed to be a savior. He died, this, that, another. And then Jesus, whom they couldn't see, began to explain to them all the things from the scriptures about the fact that he would die on the cross. So they're walking down this road, they get to their, their house, and then they begin to break bread, and then he disappears. And they're like, oh, snap, that was Jesus. But one of the things they said, he says, were not our hearts burning when he was talking? When he was explaining the scriptures, something, it wasn't just something in my head. Something was going on in my heart. I felt something. He was, he was doing something that wasn't just knowledge transfer, but there was a warmth in my soul. You know, uh, 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 I think it was uh, two weeks ago we had this, um, the, the coffee and conversation thing. And I remember uh, someone asked a question about prayer. And we talked about prayer a little bit. And, and it was so funny. I'm the one answering the questions, but I'm all like, man, I like prayer. It's nice. I, as I was talking about praying and realizing that God. He loves us. He listens to us. He wants to be with us. And, and, and as I was reflecting on this, this topic of prayer from the scriptures, my own heart was warmed. And I was like, oh, my goodness, he is good. You want to know where God is? Discuss God's word with God's people. And God's word gives wisdom. What's interesting is, is Jesus is, is 12, okay? He's 12. And he's sitting with people at least twice his age discussing God's word. And they're all like, what? How does he know all of this? Now, one thing I know about Jesus is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises in the scriptures. And in Psalm 1, it talks about that there is this man, it says he delights in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. That's Jesus. Him thinking about God's word day and night. In Psalm 1-3, it says, this person that meditates on God's word day and night, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
whatever he does, prosper. Jesus, the one who is meditating on God's word day and night, gets in a conversation with some, some theological giants, and he's prospering. Why? Because he meditates on the word. So we ought to linger with God's people. We ought to meditate on the word together. And if we get to verse 40, 48, we, it, it's, it's kind of this confrontation. And, and, and what I want you to get from that is that we, would, we should seek to honor God above all things. Above all things. In verse 48, it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Now, from Mary and Joseph's perspective, they thought Jesus was being, like, malicious. Like, why are you just escaping us, man? What are you doing? But Jesus was not in, intending to offend anybody. He just wanted to be near his father. What I, in verse 46, he says, he says, it was necessary for me to be in my father. I had to. I, 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 I had this, this burning desire to be close to him. I had to do whatever it took and cross whatever boundary I needed to be. I needed to be near him. And listen, listen, if you have a consuming passion to be near God, you just need to be ready for misunderstanding. Yeah? Because there's, there's, some, there's some things that, that you're going to pursue and some, some, some time that you're going to dedicate that won't actually make sense to those close around you. But, but we need to adopt this attitude that Jesus had. That even if my own parents don't understand me, I've got to be in my father's house. Even if those closest to me don't, don't quite know what to make of me, I have to be with him. See, Jesus indicates that, that he will always seek to be loyal to his heavenly father. What he's saying is his relationship with his father in heaven is more meaningful than his natural relationship. Now, later, when, when he begins to be a teacher, he says some crazy stuff that sounds crazy about, about, about how we should consider our relationships with others. He says, he says, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, and your own life, you can't follow me. That's what he says. What is he saying? That, that I have to be the supreme value. Now, we can look in this passage and see that he actually lived that out. This is Jesus obeying the first commandment. Remember, they say, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, verse 51 is, is really interesting. So we're looking at these habits of Jesus. We see that he's gathering with God's people. He's lingering with God's people. He's discussing God's word. He's honoring God above everything. And then in, in verse 51, we get this, this idea that, that Jesus honors authority. Look at verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, listen. Even though Jesus knew more than his parents, he obeyed them. Now, no, 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 no. Your, your child probably can't say that. Your child probably doesn't know more than you. But if your child was Jesus, he would. Okay? And even though Jesus could have defeated them in any type of theological debate, he came under their authority. That, that's, that's actually the... The, 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 uh, I think it's the fourth, fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Listen, 
often we push back against the authority of our, uh, in our lives because we think we know more. And if anyone could have that excuse, it would be him. It would be Jesus. Mom, I know more than you. He not, but he didn't say that. Mom, you want me to do this? I, okay, I'll do that. Look, look. It might be true that you may know more than those who are in authority over you, but God still honors submission. This, I think this is probably, out of everything that I'll say, this is probably one that would rub us wrongly the most. We, don't, we, we live in an age that doesn't like authority. Yeah? We don't, I don't want to submit to nobody. I know better than them. Listen, that may be true. God, listen, because the way that you treat the authorities that you can see is how you treat the authority that you can't. The way that, that, that you respond and speak to and think about the authority that you can see reflects the one who is the source of all authority. And so we should think, like, what are the sources of authority in my life and how do I treat them? Yeah? You know, if you're a young person, like, when your parent says something, are you like, forget you? I know better than you? Or, or, or we do seek to submit to your parents. Or, or, or we all got jobs. I mean, sometimes your boss is great, sometimes they're not. We should just keep it 100. Nevertheless, will we seek to honor them anyway? And the church, the church has, has an authority structure as well. We seek to honor the, the, the leader that God has put in place. Now, I need to make caveats. Like, oh, I need to make this caveat when I talk about authority. If the authority tells you to do something that, that is against Scripture, the answer is no. But that's usually not where the rub is. The rub is in the gray area, where it's like, I would prefer not to do that. It's not really against my conscience, but I just don't really want to. No, no, no. You want to be used by God. You cultivate a posture of submissiveness. So that when the giver of all authority calls you to do something, your heart is in a posture to obey. Honoring authority is, is countercultural, but it actually points to honoring higher authority. Now we see Jesus, he has these, these practices of he's, he's gathering with God's people, he's, he's lingering with God's people, he's talking about God's word, he's honoring God above all things, and, and he's honoring authority. And we see that because Jesus has given himself to these things, God gives growth through regular faithfulness. In verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. See, we can see the type of life that Jesus lived and why God blessed him with this growth. Now, let's just keep it 100 I'm sure it wasn't always thrilling to do the things Jesus was doing. Like, like whenever we think about obeying God, I think we, we try to think, like, what's the hardest thing I could do? But I think we need to reverse that. What, what are the simple things that I could do? What are the repetitive things, the things that, that, that come up all the time, the little, the little opportunities for obedience that, that might not look big to anybody else, but in my own heart, it would cost me a lot to do this over and over and over again because that is the battlefield of obedience and that is the pathway to your purpose, that you would be obedient to God in the little everyday things so that when the big thing comes, whatever that is, your heart has been cultivated into a heart that will say yes. See, listen, the dedication to spiritual formation was the reason that Jesus was ready when the time for his mission came. 
So we think, we think about Jesus going to the cross and, and that scene, that, that, that battle of prayer before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, but, but your will be done. I want you to understand, that's not the first time he prayed that. That's not the first time he thought like that. In fact, his whole life is that prayer. Not my will, but yours. So that, that when it counts, when, when everything is on the line, he has prepared his heart to say, not my will, but yours. How and why? Through those little paths of obedience that he had done over and over again when nobody was looking and when it didn't feel like it counted as much. But because he had cultivated a heart of obedience, when the big ones came, he was ready. You know, I think about, you know, Jesus teaching on prayer. His disciples, you know, teach us how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer, the thing that we pray, right? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. What's that prayer? Your will be done. So Jesus, years before he's saying, not my will, yours, he's praying, Father, your will be done. And not only is he praying it, he's seeking to live it out. See, listen, his accomplishing of our salvation was not simply an impromptu moment of victory. It was the fruit of a lifetime of spiritual formation. Listen, Christ offered himself on the cross for your forgiveness, but listen, he didn't just offer himself for you in that moment on the cross. His whole life was an offering. Every moment was an offering of, of obedience so that when the time came for him to die for your sin, he would be a perfect sacrifice. So even Jesus at 12 years old, seeking to honor his parents, which seems so little to us as we look back at it, that's him preparing for that moment where he says, not my will, yours. And so Jesus has, has, has offered his whole life to secure our salvation. But he also offers us a path to follow. So the question is, that I want you to ponder is, what are some practices that you can pick up this year? I'm not saying they've got to be huge. But what are some practices that you could pick up this year so that God would would use those things to cultivate your heart so that when that intense time of temptation comes or that, that opportunity for service comes, that you will be ready. Yeah? You're going to hear have heard all this before, but I'm going to tell you anyway. One thing that you could do is, is dedicate yourself to reading Scripture. Usually you won't accidentally do it. You can have a plan. Our, our church, if you don't have a plan, you can go on our church, church website, and it says Bible Reading Plan, and you can download an app. It's two chapters a day, and it gives you some days you don't got to read. You got catch-up days, all right? One chapter Old Testament, one chapter in the New. And listen, there are going to be times when you're like, I'm not going to lie. I was reading last, last week. I'm like, I don't understand that passage. I thought about it some, and I understood it a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't have enough time to really get into it. And I was like, well, maybe I'll understand the way. <laughs> but, but these little practices of faith, and I'm going to, to put God's word before me. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think about it. 
on the days where I feel super spiritual and the days where I don't. I'm just going to put it before me. If you, if you really do need a plan, we have some sheets in the, in the, um, the foyer. It has a plan on, on a piece of paper. But dedicate yourself to reading scripture consistently. Dedicate yourself to prayer. I, I know that prayer is one of the, the harder things to teach. It's one of the harder things to practice. But he did give us a template, right? That prayer we pray. See, I, I don't, I'm not, we're not just doing stuff to do it, right? We're doing stuff so that you will be ready and equipped. So listen, when you're, when you're thinking about how can I pray, what are the topics that I should pray? I, I hope that it ringing in your mind, there's this prayer that says, Our Father, <laughs> that's the type of stuff. And if you sit there and just talk about give me my daily bread, you think about what are all the things that I need, you can pray for a hot minute. Yeah? And if you think about, well, lead me away from temptation, that's some stuff I can pray about now. Yeah? And then you point those prayers to others. Lead that person away from temptation. Deliver that person from evil. Give that person with them. You'll find some ammo to pray. But cultivate some time. Carve out some time to pray. We have to be folks that linger and communicate and sit with God's people. One of the cool things that I've been able to witness over this year is just some really interesting stories from growth groups. As people have either maybe confessed particular sins and gotten help or received particular encouragement. Listen, if you if you're looking for community and you haven't yet found it, you know, come talk to me at Christine. We'll try to get you connected with a growth group so that you can have that regular time of talking with people about God's word. And again, it's not just a mental exercise. Remember, why? Why? Didn't our hearts burn? God will do something in that time. And this one's going to sound completely selfish, but I promise you it's not. We have opportunities to serve. Now listen, as funny as it sounds, you get to know people in a, in a whole different way when you serve with them. Yep. Now, you might not know your coworkers, but you, you might not like your coworkers, but you know them. Right? They, they, you, might, you know them because you're with them. <laughs> As you serve with people, that's how you get to know. And maybe there's some other thing that the, that the Spirit is putting on your heart. Maybe there's some particular practice that you could pick up. Whatever that is, do not grow weary and seeking to conform your life to spiritual disciplines. Because God will use it. Use it all at the right time. There might be some, there might be a pivotal moment this year that's coming up that you can't foresee yet. How do you prepare? By dedicating yourself to those little obediences over time to cultivate your heart into a willing and submissive vessel of the Lord. And y'all, if we fail, we got to come to the one that offers forgiveness. And he'll dust us off and he'll say, keep at it. But that's what we could do to prepare for whatever the Lord will have us to do, his particular task on our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that we get this glimpse of Jesus and his faithfulness and his obedience. And, and knowing that his obedience not just for him, his obedience is for us. That, that, that he would be the spotless lamb that would die for our sins. We bless you for that forgiveness, Lord. Would you help us to adopt the lifestyle that you have? Faithfulness in the little secret places. That you could prepare our hearts for 
ってるゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、ゲーム、